Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time round is, well, it's called Witches, because, well, which witch is which, eh? I got that out of the way early on. Fine. So, what we're basically talking about is how I find it fascinating that witches can be reintroduced into various bits of pop culture in so many different ways. This one phrase and this one bit of folklore basically can be turned into comedies, uh, child-friendly, horror movies. It just goes on and on and on. It's a really interesting topic that obviously is going to get us into some real and kind of terrible history, but also it allows me to talk about a very controversial religion as well. So, hey, yeah, this is going to be a fun one. Hope you enjoy it. I'm going to, I'm not going to sort of, I cannot, I do not have the time to do all of them, but here's some examples, a fair few examples, of witches in pop culture. Be interesting for you to mentally check off which one of these are you aware of? Have you either read or watched or whatever? Now, I did mention children's books and I can't think of one of the most basic child books than Meg and Mog. Now if you are not aware of the beautiful simplicity of Meg and Mog, this is one of these books that are aimed for preschool children. It's for such early learning that you can get some versions of it where Basically, it's printed on thick card like the Hungry Caterpillar, that kind of thing. So little fat fingers can easily flip over the pages. And the thing about Meg is that is a three-letter word. So Meg has a cat is a very simple sentence for a child to actually understand and read and start learning their alphabet. And Mog is her owl, by the way. It's midnight, Meg. Time for the witch's spell party. Another three-letter word there. She does have a black cat. Oh, hang on. Black. There, we got up to five letters there for a child to work out. But look, my point is, if anybody's going to start critiquing the Megan Mog books, you're doing it wrong. But for a five-year-old, and even as a parent, having read these things with small children, there's just an undeniable charm. The words are very simple. The stories are very light. And for what they are, sometimes there is a little bit of a sense of humour to them. And 
the other thing about it is the drawings are also very basic line drawings, almost like icons. And therefore a child could very easily redraw these these images. You know, her legs are just literally lines. Her pointy witch's hat is a triangle with a wider line for the brim. It's very easy for a child to start doing their own Megan Mog adventures. Just joyous, okay? But I am aware that there are some Christian groups who have basically said none of our children are going to be reading Megan Mog because we're introducing the occult to our children, and that's terrible. How you can be offended by Megan Mog, I think that's a real stretch. But hey, I get it. Let's stick with the wonderful world of children, shall we? Going up a little bit in terms of the age. We've got the Julia Donaldson, which everybody is aware of things like the Gruffalo that she wrote, but she's written just so many brilliant books, The Highway Rat. And in this occasion, we're talking about Room on a Broom. And so what that's all about is basically a witch flying around on a broom and with various hilarious consequences. They shot through the sky to the back of beyond. <laughs> The witch clutched her bow, but let go of her wand. And it's another one of her delightful stories. Again, for a slightly older child, they're going to be have to be slightly better at reading. There's just nothing there. The witch in no way is trying to say, only believe in my form of, of worldview, or, you know, starts torturing children, or denying the existence of God, or, again, anything that could warrant a book to be banned but again some christian groups just don't want to have anything to do with witches if you like this is the gateway drug to get you into something harder no it, it's it is delightful and as poetic as something like the gruffalo for example so those are for sort of perhaps younger children then we uh, from the really young of meg to the yeah, let's call them eight-year-olds uh, with room on the broom and then we come to roald dahl and he obviously wrote a book i mean he's written so many classics but one of them is called the witches which was a very well-regarded book and then that's being turned into not one but two movies this has happened a number of times with his properties. For example, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where there's just multiple, multiple different versions of it. I'm not sure anybody's quite got it right. The same thing here with The Witches and also Matilda, where it was turned obviously into a hugely successful musical as well. So Roald Dahl, just all this beautiful, sort of fantastical ideas, his wonderful prose, you know, sort of like he always said, sort of like the, the uglier and more disgusting the person he could create, the more children loved it kind of thing, where you get something like the twits, where these two utterly odious people who basically have been twisted out of their whole, their bad worldview leads to them being so nasty to each other. And also they're absolutely horrible. Uh, it was particularly inspired because he never trusted men with beards and Mr. Twit has a just the biggest beard ever. I guess Roald Dahl wasn't a fan of Santa then. But anyway, with The Witches, great book. And both movies are really quite good. Um, and like a lot of Roald Dahl stories, actually the ending is kind of bittersweet. It's not just a nice and they all lived happily ever after, particularly in the book version. I won't go into it, but it's one of these things where parents might be reading going, oh, oh God, that's a little bit hard for my 10 year old. But 10-year-olds like it. They they want a little bit of bite to their stories. So, yeah, Roald Dahl understood that. And so 
All of those are examples of kid stuff. I'm going to give you one other kind of kid type. Okay, two kid type stuff. So first of all, there's the older one. All these ones I've been saying are relatively contemporary. I mean, we're all dolls a little bit older than that. But let's talk about the lion, the witch and the wardrobe. You might not have thought about that, but it's like, yeah, there's a witch in it. It's there in the title. Now, she doesn't have a hooked nose. She doesn't have a big brim pointy hat hat and cauldron things like that but she's a magic using woman which c.s lewis defined as a witch and he was a christian writer and sort of like she's clearly the bad guy in this situation and with roald dahl the witches there are clearly the bad ones who hate children again you've got to have a bad guy to make a good story so i don't have a problem with that but you know this is where some people from like the witching wicker community more on that a, a, a quite a bit later they get kind of upset going oh the stereotype you know hook nose evil you know we're trying to bring down the world and it's like you know okay and magic isn't real okay you can't find sadly a wardrobe which opens up into a whole new realm this is all clearly fantastical just just calm down basically and the irony is the land which wardrobe's been around longer than the Wicca religion, which is going to get me in trouble, but I will explain a lot more later on. So anyway, so Lion, Witch and Wardrobe, absolute stone-cold children's classic. And then let's go to Harry Potter. Again, a book I happen to know that's being banned by various Christian communities because of using magic is obviously, you know, this is something that is, you know, basically only God can create miracles. So if you're able to create some kind of miracle, i.e. magic, that if it ain't coming from God, then it's got to be coming from the other guy, Satan. So this is a classic thing of like confusing witches with satanic worship and all all that kind of slander and it is slander uh, against these people over the centuries so yeah but with harry potter i love the idea whereas we might you know in english if we're talking about a married heterosexual couple you'll say mr and mrs so you know that is the the pronouns for married couples in a heterosexual marriage okay uh, but then in this world it's like if you're a male you're a wizard and if you're a female you're a witch which is a clever way of tying it into the magical world but also tying it into language that we're already aware of so you have people like hermione who's basically a brave little girl witch and a very smart girl witch but she is a witchy witch 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 so you can see all of these are sort of related to children you could argue i mean wizard of the wizard of oz is actually a book before it was turned into a movie which was then turned into a second movie which is the one you all know yes there was a silent version of the wizard of oz and you're going how can you do a silent musical? Well, of course, the book wasn't a musical. Once again, slightly randomly, like Roald Dahl, it's like, hmm, this is a really good book. Could it be improved by music? The answer is yes, it can. And in this case, the same thing with The Wizard of Oz, where, of course, we have the Wicked Witch of the West, who is very much everything you want from a stereotypical witch. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I mean, she's green. That's not necessarily uh, something you demand. But she's got the hook nose. She's got the broom. She's got the pointy hat and of course she is severely allergic to water so yeah as futurama once said uh, uh who would think that a small amount of moisture would ever fall on me uh yeah she couldn't live in britain that's for sure so, or she'd have to be cowering inside her house the entire time anyway 
which obviously has led to the spin-off Musical, which is a prequel uh, about basically all the witches growing up together called Wicked. So look at all that stuff to do with witches, some good, some bad. And basically in Wicked, it's the classic thing that turns out the Wicked Witch of the West is is misunderstood, basically. But then we've got sort of more mainstream TV stuff, you know, rather than the almost everything I've just mentioned there comes from books. Now we've got something like Sabrina, the Teenage Witch. That was a very wholesome thing. You know, the standard American sitcom, nothing there meant to offend. But the gag here, because there's always got to be a hook for a sitcom, is nobody kind of knows she's a witch or various people don't know she's a witch. And she just sort of like, you know, does some good deeds with her with her magic to fix the problem of the week. Then there's Bewitched, uh, where the joke is this guy's married to a witch and doesn't know she's a witch and or does know she's a witch depending on which episode and she sort of like wiggles her nose adorably and then magic ensues and hilarity ensues and it's just your classic 1960s American sitcom like The Munsters or The Addams Family or whatever it's just it's just meant to be fun and charming. You know, at that time there was nothing edgy on TV in America and there's nothing edgy on Bewitched. But let's let's go deeper then shall we there's literally a movie called the witch that's an eggers film you know the guy did the northman i did a whole episode on that so you know that is a much darker uh, movie and there are a lot a lot of movies around uh, sort of like witches and in, in horror kind of thing. They are the dark thing that lives in the woods. I mean, there is the story of Hansel and Gretel. This is obviously folklore now, where clearly the witch is the bad guy. And then in Slavic folklore, like in places like Russia, for example, you have Baba Yaga, which is something that I've already mentioned in the episode. Episode. It's like, Baba Yaga ain't the devil. That's a different name that sounds similar-ish, but this, in this occasion, Baba Yaga is specifically an old hag who famously has a movable house hut kind of thing on giant chicken legs. I mean, the whole idea is utterly terrifying. She sort of lives in swamps and the darkest parts of the forest and she's there to sort of trick people and eat them just like in Hansel and Gretel obviously those two come from clearly the same folkloric tradition so those aren't good and positive images of them and then perhaps the single most well it's not perhaps it is the most profitable movie of all time the Blair Witch Project which allegedly to make it cost something like $32,000 and yet it grossed more than a hundred million at the box office. I don't have time to work out the percentage that that managed to gross back again, but yeah, that made everybody involved, well, the writers and director at least, fabulously wealthy and they never had to work another day in their life again. Well done. But that, again, it's it's the, the whole setup of that is it's that found footage type thing. I'm sure there were other ones before it, but Blair Witch was the one that made it so hot in the 90s and early 2000s where basically these young students are going around uh, the town of Blair to try and find out their, these folkloric stories about the witch, hence the Blair Witch Project, and they're recording this, and it's just a classic low-budget horror movie. You never actually see the witch, but there is implications of kind of like pagan worship, iconography, and boy, does it have a powerful ending. The thing is, though, if you've seen a bunch of 
found footage movies and you haven't seen Blair Witch, don't bother watching it because they all ripped off Blair Witch. But if you have never seen anything like that, check out Blair Witch. It's genuinely chilling for zero dollars, basically. Literally anybody could make that film, but they made it first and they made it like 25 years ago or however long it was. So all of these are examples of how witch, you know, as soon as I said witch, I didn't need to describe one to you. You know what I'm talking about. They are endemic in popular culture. And I've just done, I'm going to guess about a dozen different examples of them. And of course, there are quite literally hundreds more. But like I say, some of these are incredibly diverse. With something like Megan Mogg, literally nothing to be offended by. It's trying to teach your child, your very young child, to read. Then you've got something like The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, which was a major movie franchise. It's being turned once again into a TV show. It's already been a TV show. It's also a book, etc. And it's sort of like your epic adventures like Lord of the Rings, only more Christian. And, uh, and then you've got something like Blair Witch Project or The Witch or any kind of horror movie which has some kind of like supernatural woman cackling in the shadows. And it's like, yeah, look at the different ways we portray in theory the same thing. I, I guess it's the same with something like a bear. It could be terrifying, like in 2023's Cocaine Bear, a sort of comedy horror, or it's outright cuddly and adorable, like Winnie the Pooh or Paddington, okay? Now, if you came from another planet and I showed you those three things, you would go, well, clearly these are three completely different creatures. It's like, nope, nope, they're actually all a bear. And there we go. So... I've sold you. I know I've sold you on the world of the fact that they are in pop culture. And just very quickly, before I start going into the history stuff, as always, please click subscribe. Please give us a review. Please tell somebody about us. Find me on Twitter. I'm at Gem Daducci on Twitter. You can always say hi. Let me know what you, what you think of the episodes. Give me suggestions. Give me challenges for other episodes. That would be lovely. Thank you very much. And the other thing I'm going to say on there is I do tweet out what the next episode. Yeah, hey, look, you know, out today, there's bloody blah, blah. And so please, if you can, retweet that to your followers and that will all help spread the love. Much appreciated. Right, let's move on to the history stuff. The term witch has been round for a very, very long time. Indeed, what you have is... you. So, I've got to be sort of careful here because I don't want to start confusing a bunch of things, but I think it's invariably going to happen. But let's talk about the line in the Bible. In the first book of the Bible, so this is Old Testament, this is Exodus 22, verse 18, and it's, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Well, that sounds pretty cut and dried. You're a good Christian or indeed you. Then you find a witch. You should not allow them to live. Get them. Kill them. And that one line has been used to justify the murder of tens of thousands of people over history throughout the whole of Europe, sometimes the Middle East, into Africa, and then on into the, the New World as well. That's awful. But I am aware that there are a number of biblical scholars who think that that word witch has been mistranslated. The thing is, some of this stuff is partially translated. Some of this, it sort of like depends when it was written down because language changes over time. Going back to the wonderful world of Harry Potter, for example, I love the fact that in Middle English, so the language we used in England in the Middle Ages, 
we called a bumblebee, you know, your standard type of bee, your bumblebee, we called it a Dumbledore, which is a similar sounding word. The, yes, that's where the headmaster gets his name from. Words can change over time and change their meanings over time as well. So, for example, sick at the moment. If things are sick, that's good. Whereas, I don't know, 30 years ago, if you were sick, the only thing that could possibly mean is you are not feeling very well. <laughs> so yeah, so language changes, and there are a number of biblical scholars who really feel quite strongly that this should have been translated to the word traitor. So if you then change that, you get the line, thou shalt not suffer a traitor to live, which sounds pretty sensible to me. If you're somebody actively trying to destroy your culture, your kingdom, something like that, then yeah, get them. <laughs> You know, just that one mistranslation, maybe, means that, you know, people have been persecuted for centuries and led to thousands of avoidable deaths. That's just a terrible thing to say. So this idea of a witch has been around for a very long time indeed. So we then get to the church into the Middle Ages, and I once had this this is one of the last times I had a heated argument with somebody on Facebook. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. 
was I posted this article about you know having done the research about how witch trials aren't particularly well understood and basically this woman just went at me and said what about all these different papal bills in the middle ages talking about condemning witches and it's like I, I it's like really I've never heard of these and I dug into it and while she was right that these things were basically edicts being sent out by the Vatican it didn't lead to anything and and why am I so confident on that because if we're talking about the early Middle Ages well let's say from about 1050 to about 1300 okay we're talking about 250 years so you can sort of see that's not quite the high Middle Ages but it's you know right in there in the middle of the Middle Ages Jem said just using the word middle too many times but you know what I mean in that time it is well documented what the papacy were really worried about and they were basically very busy persecuting heretics and Muslims and Jews none of this is going to make the Catholic Church look good and just by saying so they weren't killing any witches but they were killing these groups instead and so all of this stuff is well recorded the chronicles of the time the sources of the time weren't squeamish talking about the burning of the Jews in York in northern England things like that so if there had been the rounding up of witches that absolutely would have been written with the same kind of matter-of-fact statements as the persecution of Jewish communities in the Iberian Peninsula so because of everybody being Catholic in those days and they were following the basic rules I've made reference to this more than once but the longest running one-off campaign of and I did this in the pagan episode of the Crusades was not in the Middle East it was actually something called the Albigensian Crusade which went on for basically 20 years and it was in essence northern France that got the backing of the Pope and southern France that basically had this heretical vision or version of Christianity called the Cathars again this has led to further debate about exactly how widespread this heresy actually was and how much was this just sort of the fever dream of people in the Vatican that's kind of unknowable but it did lead to horrible bloodshed so the point is if you like the enemy let's say the year is 1200 the enemy to the Vatican isn't witches they are far more concerned about those other groups in particular the, the one that really was the most scary for them was heretics so yes while there does seem to have been some documentation about condemning the acts of witchcraft which of course will be contrary to basically what the Roman Catholic Church would want you to be doing anyway nobody was being tried for witchcraft or anything like that it just it is not there in the record the stuff that you know about the persecution of witches happens later it happens basically after the reformation after 1515 somebody out there's going to say there was one witch trial somewhere in like in the early 1400s good for you but the fact that you can only find one proves my point the sort of wild wide-scale condemnation of witches in the 1500s and particularly in the 1600s wasn't there in the 1300s or the 1200s or whatever I basically gave up 
doing this stuff online because once somebody's mind is made up there's no point arguing with it really that your, your mind's made up good for you but I always like to try and spread facts rather than opinions and I sort of tell you if it's a bit murky and there are different ways of sort of working out what actually happened if you see what I mean so I know this is going to be controversial it's going to be really interesting to see what the response is going to be online I'm kind of worried about it but please bear with me on this so yeah it just wasn't a medieval thing it was kind of a renaissance onwards thing and this is where I have to sort of debunk the first myth because first of all there are some people saying that it was just women being persecuted and they were all midwives nope and secondly that these people were actually following old religions now i go into this more in the pagan episode and i said that that's kind of inspired me to perhaps do a few episodes on this sort of like esoteric alternative kind of healing and, and that kind of thing and this absolutely falls into that area but the point here is as i said in that episode there's zero evidence of genuinely Iron Age or Bronze Age religions, pre-Christian religions, lingering in places like Britain. There's just no evidence of it. And people can say, oh, well, it was all verbally handed down from father to son, or more likely, because this tends to be a very sort of like mother goddess kind of idea, from, from mother to daughter. Well, nobody knows what people were whispering to each other in dark corners of the room 600 years ago. But the point is, there's no evidence anywhere at all. So, you, you know, if you're going to say something's going to happen... You've got to give me some kind of evidence, something. And when I said they're not all midwives, I mean, yes, some of these people were midwives. Some of these people did know natural remedies, like the bark of a willow tree. We've distilled that into something called aspirin. It is actually quite a good pain relief thing, particularly if we're dealing with like a buildup of pressure in, in the bloodstream, stuff like that. Bruising, for example. So, yes, so some of these people were kind of semi professional apothecaries or doctors and some of these women invariably would have looked after young women when it came to to child labor but that didn't make them a midwife that makes it sound like that's what they did for a living basically the older generation helped out the younger generation with things they didn't know and this isn't about witchcraft or anything like that it's about the death of children because infant mortality is extremely high before we get to the 20th century with regrets and so if the old lady down the road has helped your young bride to give birth and maybe the babies died or maybe the mothers died through complications or maybe even worse both of them have died this is a tragedy and you're going to be angry and when you're angry you want to blame somebody and rather than just understanding medical procedures which a peasant man would not understand in 1300 you might well blame the person who was involved in it, i.e. the last person standing, that'll be the old lady over there. So it's more complicated than, than that, but also clearly more women were tried than men, but men were also tried as witches. This is, if you like, something that J.K. Rowling's got wrong. It wasn't like a witch is a girl and a wizard is a boy. In this case, witches could be anything. And once we get into the 1500s, and then particularly into the 1600s, we've now got a whole coalescence of things that allows persecution to happen. We've got 
the printing press, which allowed us to spread propaganda. And if you look at things like the Thirty Years' War in the early 1600s and things like the English Civil War, it's called so many different things in so many different places nowadays, but hopefully you'll know what I mean by that. But the point is these are some of the first wars where propaganda flat out was being pumped out and people on the other side were being regularly accused of being in league with the devil. And so once we're at that point and once we have arguments between various Christian groups about you're not Christian enough, uh, therefore you're probably wrong or tainted or something like that. No, it's like, well, clearly you can see that that doesn't take a leap from something like that of like my enemy's enemy is my friend, or in this case, everybody who ain't me is my enemy to start saying, I don't know what that person's doing over there. They must be in communion with the devil and my child's just died. They're a witch, quick, get them. So when we get to something like the Salem witch trials, which are in the very late 1600s, America does tend to get obsessed with these. Indeed, you get the ex-president Donald Trump using the term witch hunt all the time because he's basically being accused of various things where quite literally there are times he's being proved to have done them in court and is in the process of a number of these cases. So I'm not going to start saying, you know, allegedly done a whole bunch of things, but it does seem to be a lot of evidence. Certainly in the case of the sexual assault, you know, he was found guilty. So yeah, the problem with comparing it to a witch trial is witch trials had very flimsy evidence. But what's interesting is in America is this feeling that, you know, we were the crazy religious ones, so we were the ones doing it. That's actually happening towards the end of the witch hunting craze. It was kind of in Republican England. So we're talking in the middle of the 1600s where it was at its peak in England at least. And uh, earlier in the Thirty Years' War, I love this idea. Germany, or you know what we would nowadays call Germany, it wasn't called that at the time, was, <laughs> was so worried about witchcraft that they built the Heron House. Now, what's a Heron house? Well, Heron is the German for witch. And so the Heron house, the witch house, it was a prison specifically built to house witches. And it was actually destroyed. It was built basically at the start of the Thirty Years' War. It was then destroyed during the Thirty Years' War. So, of course, if you're the city that was basically raided and destroyed, and they destroyed that place that was used to store witches, you're now going to assume the other side is in league with witches, because why on earth would you want to destroy somewhere that does that? But you might be wondering, hang on, this sounds like something out of a Harry Potter novel, or, you know, a, a horror movie or something like that. And indeed, Heron House, H-A-U-S, that's a great name for a horror movie. I'm telling you right now, if there's a director out there, somebody like A24, hi A24, talk to me. I could come up with something really great. You know, bit period, but not very expensive. You know, only a few actual sets would be needed. You could create this tense psychological drama with this impending army arriving. Oh, it would be great, but you need to talk to me about that, okay? Copyright Gem Daduchu 2023, all right? Fine. If people want to rip it off, I'm sure they're going to do it anyway. But hey, you, you, you heard it here first. If you see that movie, come out after this podcast like a year later then yeah that ain't cool guys i digress how do they make it witch proof in inverted commas and again there is evidence there are records if you like that both men and women were kept there this is not a women's only club and so what it was is basically it was a normal prison because funnily enough Turned out witches could be stopped by iron bars, but on the walls there were various extracts, particularly noble extracts from the Bible to sort of counter, almost like emanating holiness to stop any unholiness from happening. 
But going back to Salem, literally no witches were burnt. Witches were drowned. They were sometimes executed at having their heads cut off. And also sometimes they were crushed under large rocks. It's a disgusting way to kill anybody. But, but anyway, they weren't burned. Because again, going back to the Middle Ages, Lots of people were burned in Europe, but they were burned because they were heretics. That's the idea of burning a heretic. So actually, it's a misremembering that in Salem, you know, everybody was being burnt. Also, most people in witch trials would get off. A significant amount of people. Just Even courts in the 1600s could work out this is incredibly trumped up. In the case of the Salem witch trials, it actually had to go to several different courts to get any kind of conviction in that situation. So there are so many misremembered parts. But look, I want to get to the... Actually, just before I get to the weirdest part, because that's perhaps going to be the lightest and most controversial part, I'm going to say, but sadly, the idea of a witch trial has not gone away. Even in the 21st century, particularly in West African communities, either in West Africa or in other places, there is this idea of people casting spells on each other, cursing each other, and there have literally been witch trials. And indeed, there was a horrible court case which seemed to have led to the death of a baby over the argument of kind of witchcraft and stuff like that within one of these communities. So sadly, because of a potential mistranslation about a thousand years ago, we have now got, in the 21st century, still innocent people dying. It's just disgusting and disgraceful. Moving on from that, let's talk about Gerald Gardner. So Gerald Gardner was your typical early 20th century kind of guy. You know, this is a man who basically spent a lot of time, you know, he was British, but he spent a lot of time being anywhere but Britain. For example, in 1911, he was in Borneo and he was working with the Dayak tribe there and he was fascinated by their various rituals, their sort of spiritual communing with the other world type rituals there. And unlike a lot of, sort of colonial people in the British Empire in the early 20th century, he found it, uh, he was incredibly respectful. It wasn't like ignorant superstition from those savages or anything like that. He was captivated with it and he wanted to build a dialogue, a respectful, mutually respectful two-way dialogue with these people. So it continued like that. And I, I, you know, look, I don't want this podcast to go on for an hour or anything, but he absolutely took, you know, he was uh, a huge a supporter of Britain. He was, he, while he had alternative ideas, he certainly wasn't, wasn't alternative to Britain themselves. He actually tried to sign up in World War One, but he was just too ill, basically. And then in World War Two, he was back in Britain. He was now living in Britain and he became an ARP air raid warden, basically. So he did his bit then. He was an older man by then, but he was still ravaged with malaria. And so th this was a man who you know, took society and British society seriously, but at the same time, he joined the Rosicrucian order um, of Croton, uh, uh, so hang on, I've got to get this right, the Rosicrucian order Crotona Fellowship, you know, all these sort of like weird clubs have weird names, this was not uncommon. As I've said in the Atlantis episode, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, there were all these secret societies and yada, yada, yada. And so, but that sort of scratched his itch. It was, it, this wasn't so much about Atlantis. This was more like trying to channel old magic. And he fell in with Alistair Crowley, who created up his own sort of Thelema and his own kind of magical stuff. And he also met these women who claimed that they had 
these sort of classic, this has been handed down through many generations, this is pre-Christian knowledge. They even claimed that this has been stored by the Templars, which we know. And, and so again, there are so many myths around the Templars, which again, if you actually look at who the Templars actually were in the Middle Ages, this has to be wrong, misremembered, Jem said politely, because there's zero evidence of all this conspiracy theory stuff being hung on the Templars. Nope, not there, sorry, being a just killjoy here. And so what Gerald Gardner basically did is he came up with this idea, pulling together things like the Dayak tribe, things like these women that he met, things like this, the, these organizations that he'd been a member of, and meeting with Alistair Crowley, he basically pulls together all his thoughts into what becomes known as Wicca, this kind of paganistic, witch-orientated religion. And why is it called Wicca? Well, because Wicca is the old Anglo-Saxon name for a witch. But what's interesting is Wicca, W-I-C-C-A, is the male version of it. W-I-C-C-E, Wicca, is the female version of it. So we've got all these women running around in the 21st century talking about how this is mother goddess stuff and I'm a Wiccan, using the A at the end. It's like, sorry, we're back to the patriarchy again. You know, perhaps conjugate your old English correctly if you're going to call it that. But the interesting thing is, so, so the people who believe, and, and this, this is fascinating, and I've said this before, if you, whatever you believe, I can't argue with that. You believe it, you feel it in your bones, but I can present facts, okay? And if you're going to tell me I should believe things your way, you need to present me with facts. Just because you're filled with that belief does not automatically mean I'm going to be. And there are lots of choices when it comes to religions. So the people who follow it claim that everything that Gerald Gardner said is true. Basically, he put into a book, in essence, the Wiccan version of a Bible, all these ancient oral traditions. There is no evidence of that whatsoever, and some of it is suspiciously similar to some stuff from other places that he travelled around during his lifetime, okay? That's part one. Part two is these people get very sniffy about things like Christianity, picking holes in things like Christianity or Islam or whatever. Fine, you, you do you, okay? That's, that's what you've got. But the problem with that is you can pick the same kind of holes into Wiccan. Now, if this gives you solace, if this is the way you want to live your life, if this makes you the best person that you can be, again, you, you do you. But if you're going to convince me that this is somehow being a secret religion that's been around for centuries and spread all, all around the world, you've got to give me some evidence of that because you won't accept that the Bible does that and yet the Bible absolutely we have records of it going back much further than any of these Wiccan traditions so yeah Gerald Gardner seems to invented a religion and as several writers and philosophers and other types of people as well anthropologists have said we know the source of Islam, Christianity, and Judaism they all come from the Middle East okay Hinduism and Buddhism all come from India the only religion that seems to be practiced by small communities around the world that's come from Britain is Wicca. It is a British homegrown post-World War II religion, and it's all thanks to Gerald Gardner, which if we're going to compare him to these other people who spread these great religions, that would make, make a man called Gerald basically the equivalent of Moses in this particular religion, or Abraham. So... I, that puts a warm smile on my face. Again, to the if there are any Wiccans listening to this who are furious at me, don't be furious at me. 
I've not said anything that isn't already out there in various works of, of history. So please, if you want to change my mind, I ask politely for evidence, not your anger and not your opinion. <sighs> Let's see what happens with this one. Thanks very much for listening. And as always, another episode coming soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.